Hello, I'm Eric Chabro of GovInfoSecurity.com and Information Security Media Group. I'm speaking with Richard Steenen, Chief Research Analyst at the IT security advisory firm IT Harvest. Richard also is author of the soon-to-be-published book, Surviving Cyber War, for publisher Government Institutes. Welcome, Richard. Thank you, Eric. Glad to be here. There's been a lot of attention placed on cyber war in the past few months. Former National Intelligence Director Michael McConnell says America is losing a cyber war, but White House Cybersecurity Coordinator Howard Schmidt, in an interview with GovInfoSecurity.com, said he doesn't believe a cyber war could exist. Before we get into your view on this existential debate, please first define cyber war. Cyber war is using networks and computers and applications and the people that run them coincident with more traditional means of warfare such as invasion and missile launches. Is this something in conjunction with kinetic war or just following a pattern of kinetic war? In conjunction with. So up until that point, for me, they're just cyber attacks the classic thing that we've been seeing for the last couple of decades. But my own definition was always when we see these types of attacks in conjunction with a kinetic attack, then it had passed the gateway for me, except that it cyber war. And obviously that occurred August 8th of 2008. And that was when? That was when Russia invaded South Ossetia, the breakaway part of Georgia. Why does it have to be related to a kinetic war? Keith Alexander would agree with me on this. The use of cyber attacks is not by definition warfare, just like shooting somebody in the streets isn't warfare or using a gun isn't warfare. But when it's state-sponsored and the intent and purpose is warlike, in other words, to you know somehow gain an advantage over another state adversary, that's when you start entering the realm of warfare. We're engaged in several areas of combat in Afghanistan and in Iraq at the moment. Do you see any kind of cyber threats emanating from that? Well, certainly the U.S. military forces are using traditional intelligence methods. I shouldn't say traditional because grabbing cell phones and doing forensics on them to determine what connections they've made is falls into the realm of cyber because it's a pretty broad definition of the way the government uses it. And certainly the adversaries are using laptops. We're confiscating them when, when we attack insurgents. So there's definitely cyber intelligence and the use of that intelligence to further the war efforts. For sure, cyber war is occurring in the realms of theaters that we're actually engaged in kinetic warfare. Let me back up a bit and, and get your observation on this. Would you say that a threat exists now to do damage to the American government and or it's America's critical IT infrastructure, the power grid, for example, by digital means without some type of traditional combat? And could that be seen as a cyber war or not? I certainly see the threat because it's happening today and damage is being done. You know, the damage might be the systems are encroached upon and critical data exfiltrated, but that's damage caused the Pentagon supposedly over $100 million in corrections and repairs in order to secure their network after it was breached a little over a year ago. So that's one way of defining damage. Our attacks going on against our critical infrastructure right now, the classic penetration and poking around is certainly going on. Our people throwing switches and, and shutting down our critical infrastructure? No. And would it be a cyber war if they did so? Uh, it would certainly be a cyber attack, but I don't think it would fall into the realm of, of warfare until there was shooting on both sides. There seems to be a reluctance on your part 
of describing potentially massive damage caused by a cyber attack as a cyber war coming from an adversary. Why do you have that reluctance? I don't want to fall into the trap of uh, overhyping the situation. The situation is bad enough as it is. We have government systems for the most part that are extremely vulnerable, and the government has let its guard down and has to do a lot of backtracking and filling to correct those issues. But to claim we're at war with somebody, I think, is going over the top. Your book's entitled Surviving a Cyber War. What do you mean by that title? Certainly around the world, there are active uh, cyber battles going on. It might be between opposing sides in Israel or opposing sides between India and Pakistan or India and China. And we have to prepare and figure out how to survive those attacks, all the way from the government and the state's responsibility, all the way down to the enterprise and the individual's responsibility. You are going to be experiencing these types of attacks if you're involved in computers in any way, and you have to prepare to survive them. And doing so is is actually not that complicated. It might take some investment, might take a change of thinking about the threats you've been battling all these years, because it's a lot different than just fighting the latest virus or worm that's spreading over the internet, or cyber criminals trying to steal personally identifiable information. It goes a lot deeper than that. The targets are now your information, your data, the things that you use for conducting business, and you have to defend yourself against that. Let me understand something, just absorbing what you just said. There are, around the world, other real combat going on, and associated with that could be cyber attacks. And America may not be directly involved in the kinetic combat, but are you suggesting that we, there could still be side effects on our systems because of these true combats going on? Yeah, absolutely. And once again, the language gets in our way because would you say that Hamas or Hezbollah is at war with Israel? You know, there aren't tanks moving around right now, even though there are missiles fired constantly across uh, various borders. And if the factions on either side engage in similar periodic attempts to take down websites and web servers and face websites. So, you know, that's psychological warfare moving over into the cyber realm. There are potential for fallout uh, affecting U.S. businesses and individuals if you happen to be traveling in Georgia when war began between Russia and Georgia, you would not have been able to get your email out and communicate back home over the Internet and actually over some phone networks as well. So you would have been a casualty of a cyber war that was part of a kinetic war. And certainly, due to a, just a beautiful irony, um, the web servers of uh, government of Georgia were were rehomed to a U.S. hosting provider, uh, coincidentally, in Georgia, Atlanta, Georgia. So the attacks just followed them, right? The attackers were using a domain name, and the attacks went and started to hit the hosting provider. And that had spillover effect collateral damage for the other businesses that were hosted by that provider. And that's one of the dangers of these cyber incursions and cyber wars occurring between countries is they tend to get global very, very quickly. What can people do in the United States to avoid this kind of collateral damage? You have to carefully look at who your hosting provider is and also the defenses that, that they can put up around their data centers as well as the DNS, the domain name servers uh, that's maintaining the location of your website. You can't just leave them sitting out there. A lot of them are. A lot of them are just behind the firewall, but the firewall has to allow DNS requests through so they're vulnerable to denial service attacks. Your own hosting 
website might have a bandwidth limitation on it, and it's very easy for an attacker to use up all your bandwidth, then your service provider will, will shut you down because you exceeded your contracted value. So it's really to step back one more time, just as you did when viruses started to be popular and worms started to be popular, and look at the defenses that you put in place and determine if you're willing to invest enough to stay up during a targeted attack. And one alternative is, is to say no. You know, that's just a website for our customers to come to to find out how to contact us. And rather than spend several thousand dollars on protecting your, your website, you might opt to let it be essentially a, a sacrificial website. Let it go down while somebody's attacking you. What's the role of the federal government in protecting America's government systems and its key infrastructure from these collateral attacks? I think the role of the federal government is first to defend its own ability to function. We still need access to the FTC's website. We still need access to the FAA and all of their networks. And they should keep those up and running and take all the defenses required in order to do so. And they're failing in their primary mission if they allow those sites to be easily taken down. As far as federal government involvement in you know, trying to somehow beef up AT&T's network or any of the other major broadband carriers, I don't think that they're in a position to offer good advice or even technology, frankly. Uh, government has demonstrated that it's seven to ten years behind in application of security technology. The only reason the carriers haven't fully deployed the types of technologies needed is they haven't experienced the threats. They haven't seen the widespread attacks on their own networks. But I can tell you they will. Every single industry has had to go through this. You can't browbeat somebody and continue to publish warnings and get them to actually change their behavior, but they will change it after they've been attacked, just as banks have struggled constantly to overcome the damage to the brands from phishing attacks and they're deploying better and better technology. The carriers will do so as well. Our electrical power grid, same thing, even if they did come to an attack, you know, they go through the, the hand wringing and the investigations, figure out what happened and they fix it and we'll all move on. You know, one of the issues that keeps coming up is this idea, you know, government should do something and so Congress is trying to come up with what can we do and let's enforce it through a regulation or a new law. And I think things are moving way too fast for any law that can't be formulated and passed in a period of weeks to actually be up to date and have any, any relevance or significance in covering cyber attacks. So is the solution not to have things specified in laws, but establishing some kind of governing architecture to be able to meet the changes in technology? Yeah, I don't think uh, an architecture is required. It's, you know, just like you, you don't need an architecture for an economy to work. Economies just happen. The Internet did just happen, despite the platitude that the government created the Internet. The government didn't create the Internet. The government paid for some researchers at universities to connect their networks. The Internet created itself, and I think the Internet will defend itself as well. Let me just clarify something I just said, or my question, when I used the word architecture, I wasn't talking about, say, an Internet architecture, I just meant some kind of form, you know, the idea that Congress can't enact a law that keeps up with technology because technology moves so quickly, but maybe it could set up some way of governance or some kind of organization that could react swiftly. Oh, absolutely. A organization, especially one that brought together technologists with policymakers, so everybody knew everybody else's phone numbers, that would be an excellent organization to have in the realm of crisis management. But as you know, the next type of disaster occurs, as it will, the right moves are made. Sometimes 
the right move is not to do anything, right? And let the network operators figure it out and fix it. But we'll have a better chance of not having an escalation of, you know, either diplomatic or interstate issues if everybody's talking to each other. I'm taking away from our conversation sort of a free market approach to cybersecurity that you feel that there will be problems, but we'll learn from our problems and resolve them. Is that a correct assessment? Uh, free market for the world, certainly not free market for the government. So the government itself, both on the military side and the rest of the agencies, have to start applying pretty well-formulated security policies that have already been defined by NIST and enforcing them to the extent needed to prevent attacks against them. But it's the role that you see that government should or should not play with the private sector that should be follow sort of the principles of the free market. Exactly. Government should should learn from the private sector, and government should purchase from the private sector and use their expertise to help secure their networks. And then let's just do that for the next five to ten years until we get the stuff figured out. Thank you, Richard. My pleasure. I've been speaking with Richard Steenan, Chief Research Analyst at the IT Security Advisory Firm, IT Harvest, whose book, Surviving Cyber War, will be published in May. For GovInfoSecurity.com and Information Security Media Group, I'm Eric Chabro. Thanks for listening.